Nehemiah. Turn it to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you have a Bible from the back, it is page 399. 399 if you're using a Bible from the back. All right, so we've been, we started this series a few weeks ago uh, where we're talking about when God gives you a dream to do the work that he's called you to do, what it looks like to carry that dream from, from the dream stage to the to the working on the dream stage, to seeing the dream completed and God's work done, you know, all in that stage, you know, finished and done. Um, and it's more than just stepping, although I'd say this is the biggest part of the whole process. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago is, is you agreeing to the dream is one of the biggest parts. It's, it's you saying, yes, God, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm going to assume if you called me to it, that you'll provide some way to get it done. And, uh, and stepping in faith into that and, and uh, just offering yourself, you know, for, for God to use you in that process. We talked about how, uh, how important those dreams are and the planning and the way you present the vision and the prayer that goes behind all that. And, and, uh, and, and so now what we're going to talk about. So Nehemiah had this dream. This guy, Nehemiah, who was off in captivity in Babylon, uh, had this dream to go back to the city of his ancestors to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city because he had heard it was tore down and the, and uh, Israel was kind of in, living in shame among the nations around them because they were unprotected and and uh, and so he really wanted to do this he worked he worked directly for the king of Babylon he asked permission the king said yeah you can have whatever you want I'll even fund the project and uh, and so Nehemiah goes off to Jerusalem to start this project of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he kind of assesses everything and, uh, you know, kind of develops a plan. And then he presents his dream to the people that are there. And they all decide to get behind it. So when we dive into Nehemiah chapter 3, what we're talking about now is the process of the work getting started. Now, this is the, in, in any of the dreams that you would might work on, that God would give you, this is a critical stage because a lot of time this is the, phase where discouragement will really start to set in. Uh, or, um, you know, you just kind of get, you know, things happen that you weren't expecting and that kind of get you discouraged or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Or you're starting to feel like I can't do all this work. The dream's too big for me. And so Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter three, we, we get this, uh, phone book of names, right? Just this long list of names of different people who were working on the wall. Um, so it starts off like this. This is, I'm just going to read the first, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first uh, couple of verses. Nehemiah 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. And then if you keep on reading throughout just chapter 3, it keeps on going like that. And this group of people built this section of the wall. And next to them, this group of people built this section of the wall. And there's a couple of little, you know, interesting details that, that pop up along the way. But it kind of goes all around the wall that's rest around in Jerusalem and begins to talk about, you know, just dozens upon dozens of people who committed to to rebuilding the wall and the thousands that they represented, you know, they don't list every single worker, but kind of the leaders of each section. And, um, and so we get this picture of though Nehemiah was the one that God called to see this through. I'm not saying he didn't, but what 
what Scripture portrays to us is not Nehemiah stacking bricks and slinging a hammer. Instead, we get this beautiful description here and in a couple chapters later again of everybody but Nehemiah working to make this happen. Because Nehemiah realized this dream was far too big for him to just go in and do it alone. I mean, can you imagine the statue that, that would have been built to him if he would have done it all by himself? Right? I mean, he, I mean that would have been absolutely miraculous, right? But instead, he, he doesn't look at it for his own glory. He doesn't even care. He doesn't even seem to care who gets the credit. In fact, he's quick to give everybody else the credit they deserve. Instead, he just knows God wants this done. I can't do it by myself. It's going to take a lot of us to get it done. In a couple of weeks, we're going, to, we're going to find out how long it took them to build this giant wall around Jerusalem. You're going to be shocked at the amount of time it took them. For now, Nehemiah just says, it's too big for me. I have to share the work. The point I want to make from chapter 3 is this, that your dream is not about you. Your dream is not, the dream that God gives you is not about you. It's always about Jesus. It's always about God. And it's also about um, the church. It's also about God's people. God very, very rarely calls one man to do a giant task all by himself or one woman to do a giant task all by herself. Instead, it usually involves lots of people, lots of planning, lots of help, Lots of names. Your dream is not just about you. It's to the glory of God and it's to the edification of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And what Nehemiah did in the way that he laid out the work for this dream is that he didn't like present this giant blueprint and say, you have to do it exactly like this. No, instead he just goes and he, he talks to people who either worked or lived close to each section of the wall that needed to be built. And he says, just get to work. Get to work. So the priests, when they were, you know, that passage we just read, the the priests, when they come to to do it, they had their own sort of, uh, you know, consecration ceremony after they finished the work. That was their section. They completely owned it, and they were going to build it the way they thought was best, and they were going to celebrate it when they were done, you know, whether everybody else was ready to celebrate or not. I mean, they owned that section, and they they really, what it it did when he, he laid out the work in that way, he lifted up everybody around him. Absolutely lifted up everybody around him. Now, if you're like me, like when it comes to the work that I, I feel God calling me to do from time to time, and even when I know that I need help doing that work, sometimes I struggle to give away tasks or responsibility or ownership. I want to have my fingers in every pot. I want to know exactly what's going on. And I want to, you know, I I want it done the way that I originally had in my head. Who has ever had a dream? And when you start working on that dream, it goes, it it takes a little bit of a, you know, dog leg left. And, and, and you're like, I didn't see it going down that way. And I'm not sure if we get to continue that way. And you get all anxiety about it and, and you want to take control of it. Instead, Nehemiah just says, go and do it. We're going to get this done. There's a couple things about leading teams that I think that, um, that Nehemiah teaches us. You can apply this to your life in terms of God's dreams for you. You can, you can apply it to your life in terms of the way you lead your family, the way you lead your business, 
um, however it may be, but just a couple of uh, things I want to point out. That Nehemiah didn't just recruit helpers, he recruited fellow dreamers. He recruited people that were as passionate about seeing Israel return to its former glory as he was. He just didn't include people, you know, he did, in other words, he wasn't just looking at, I need a warm body to help me do my thing. Instead, he, he appealed to people in their heart and their passion. He encouraged them to dream along with him, and he recruits dreamers to help him. When you recruit dreamers instead of only just helpers, there's no telling what your, what your dream will end up looking like. The second thing is this, that when it comes to kind of seeing this dream through, that whatever God calls you to do, I learned this several years ago, only do what only you can do. Only do what only you can do. And everything that you're doing that maybe somebody else could possibly do, learn to give that away. Learn to delegate that. Just do the things that only you can do. Because there's somebody out there that's going to receive a huge blessing from doing that thing that you're, that's, that's, that's probably frustrating you to begin with. Learn to give that away. Learn to delegate that. And when you delegate it, the third thing I want to bring out is this. Learn to delegate authority, not just tasks. Uh, somebody told, told me uh, in a conference you know, a few years ago that when you delegate tasks, you create followers. But when you delegate authority, you create leaders. Learn to delegate authority. And what we mean by delegate authority instead of tasks is instead of just saying, um, you know, we've got this wall that's ugly and needs to be painted and, and you know, whatever. And I hear, here's the color for you to do it with. And here's the, you know, the exact plan for it. And we, it's going to look exactly like this. Instead, you say, um, you know, what would you do with that wall if it was all up to you? And suddenly somebody else starts dreaming and maybe just maybe they dream in a different direction that you dream that makes you anxious and makes you nervous. And you're like, Oh, I don't know if I wanted to give it that, that much. And then, but then once it all gets done, you're like, Oh my gosh, it's really not about the wall. Is it? It's about lifting up God's people. It's about bringing up fellow leaders around us. It's about realizing that I'm not always the smartest person in the room. So you delegate authority, you give away authority to the people who have earned the right to have authority, and, and you, you just let them run with it. And that's when beautiful things begins to happen specifically and in church. This is why Living Hope is currently as, as beautiful of church as it is. Because we have, as leaders, uh, uh, gifted you all, many of you, with authority. To not just say, we want you to do it this and exactly like this, but to say, here's a ministry that's in need. Take it and run with it. We can't wait to see what God does with you in, in, the, in you know, leading in, in this ministry. We try really hard not to micromanage around here, but instead, the, 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 the pastors, the staff, the elders here, we don't assume that God's only speaking through us, that God can speak through you and guide you in directions that in the exact same way that he would us. And so why not give you guys the freedom to do that? And so what has happened in our church in the last couple of years is something really, really beautiful where, where our, our, we're becoming stronger, we're becoming healthier, we're becoming more beautiful, greater work is being done not because I, as the lead pastor, am doing everything and making it so awesome because that's just simply not happening. 
but because so many of you are stepping up and saying, God's put this burden on my heart. I want to do this. And we're just kind of, you know, giving you the ability to say, go, go do that. Do that thing that God's calling you to do. Let's see what happens. Or we've got this need and you you want to meet that need. And so go take that and run with it. I I can count person after person after person who has started ministries in our church or, or began to lead ministries in our church that needed a leader. And suddenly what was once struggling and what was, what was once a weakness uh, to our church is now a strength and it's beautiful. I wouldn't, I didn't plan on this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, um, uh, some of you may know that um, David and Michelle Wilder began leading at the beginning of the year, began leading our small groups ministry. And that came from uh, several conversations where, you know, what, what are the big needs of the church right now? And our small groups were, were just weak at best. You know, we had a couple of, of groups that were okay. And, um, and, and in a church of a couple of hundred, we probably had, I don't know, 25 or 30 people in groups. And, uh, and so in that through conversation with them and then just saying, okay, take it and run with it. And they've taken it and run, ran with it. And they're thinking about it all the time. And they're doing the training of the leaders and they're doing the, you know, rolling out the groups on a, on a somewhat regular basis and stuff like that. And in six months time, we've gone from 25 people to, in groups to about 85 or 90 people in groups. And, and it, that couldn't happen before because the rest of us were thinking about other things and didn't have the time to think about this. But when somebody stepped up and said, I'll, I'll do it, I'll take it, I'll run with it. And they just ran with it. And they did it in beautiful ways, ways some ways that I wouldn't have thought about doing. But they've, they've managed to come along and, 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 and it's growing and it's becoming more and more healthy and it's a beautiful thing. And I could tell you story after story exactly like that. And this is why when it comes to the dream that God has given us for our church... This is when it becomes really, really exciting not to see, because this is the danger of church life. Most of the time when people in the community or people in, you know, nationally or whatever, when they look at a church, they automatically think of the pastor of that church. Oh, look what that pastor did with that church. Look how I mean, he built that church from, you know, 10 people in a living room to 3,000 people in five years. I mean, you look at what that pastor did. I have a role here as a pastor, but I would say to you, it's not the most important role. It's not the most important role. I hopefully for, through what I do in, in my role as lead pastor, hopefully I keep people encouraged. Hopefully I keep people moving in the direction I feel God has called us to go. But some of the most important, some of the most beautiful roles is not from up here, but from out here. That's what makes a church beautiful. My goal as pastor of this church is someday when I die, that this church doesn't skip a beat. It just keeps plugging right along, doing the beautiful thing that you've always been doing. And that's when this all this work and all this dreaming gets really, really exciting. Now, I want to move into, into chapter 4. So in chapter 4, this is what happens. Some of the enemies of Nehemiah that have, had kind of cropped up, we heard their names back in chapter 2. Um, um, oh, what were some of their names? Hold on. So Sanballat was one of them. Uh, was it Tobiah one, something like that? Uh, yeah, Tobiah. So a couple of these guys that were kind of clan leaders around the area where Nehemiah was doing this work and working out this dream of building, building the wall, they were not excited about Israel getting strong again. 
they liked their position as kind of little warlord clan leaders where they could kind of control things, bully everybody around them. And, and, uh, and the idea of Jerusalem becoming a place of strength, a place where worship would happen once again, a place where a city could be strong and, and therefore make it, you know, as a capital city, make the whole nation strong. The idea of that happening was not cool with them. So they began to plot heavily against Nehemiah and the work that everybody was doing. And they started developing these plans of, of how can we stop the work. And then their plans moved from how can we stop the work to how can we harm Nehemiah. And, and so they start, you know, developing all these kind of just, just flat-out evil plots against everything that's going on, against God's dreams for, for the city. So I'm gonna, we're going to pick it up in, in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15. It says this, When our enemies heard that it was known to us, <coughs> Excuse me, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And then he says this, I love this phrase, our God will fight for us. So great. So I love, I love the attitude that says, God's got us. He's not going to let this thing fail. God will fight for us, but keep your sword close just in case. Right? That's a, that's a good guy. All right. Then it says this, so we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. In other words, spend the night in Jerusalem. That they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. In other words, what he's saying is we stayed prepared for whatever might come up, prepared to do battle if it might be. We didn't, we didn't you know, undress and put on our PJs for bed. We stayed dressed. We had our swords at our side. If you lived outside the city, you didn't get to go home at night. You stayed in the city till the work was done so that we would be all strong together. And the point I want to make about that is this, that there will come a point in the execution of your dream where you will need to defend the dream. It's going to happen. Your dream will be attacked. It'll be attacked either by kind of some sort of spiritual warfare where, where just our enemy is just trying to get you down and discourage you and get you off point and get you off, off track and just try to get you to give up or change the dream, alter it in a way that was not the way that God called you to do it or whatever. You'll have to protect against that. You'll have to defend against that. Or you might actually have people around you uh, in the community in um, government positions, in 
Um, it could be brothers and sisters sitting right next to you in church. It could be family members who live with you right in your house. There will be people come around you that don't get the dream, that don't get the vision, that don't see the need. And in fact, maybe begin to feel a little threatened by what if this takes place, it's going to change things for me in a way that I'm not comfortable with. I'd rather kind of squash this and let's call for a vote. Let's do something like that. Let's let, you know, let's, let's, let's prevent this thing from happening. Let's slow things up and, you know, and, and, and all these questions start being asked and all this kind of stuff starts happening to, to get you off track, to actively fight you in the, uh, to, to see in your dream come to fruition. But you got to defend the dream. This is what, what we have to realize is that when God gives us a dream, those dreams are worth defending. Because God never gives us a dream, as we talked about earlier, God never gives us a dream that's just simply about us. His dreams, the things that they accomplish have kingdom value, have eternal value. It's not just about us accomplishing something great. It's about us partnering with God to do the things, honestly, that only God can do so that his kingdom can grow in where we live or at other spots around the world so that his ultimate purposes are seen through. And those dreams, God's dreams, are worth defending. They're worth fighting for. This is why if we could get our heads around this principle right here, when it comes to our church, when it comes to Living Hope Church, if we could raise up an army of people who believed in the core of who they are, that this thing that we do called church, this kingdom building that we're trying to do here in our little corner of the world, it is not just a good thing. It's a God thing. It is not just something worthwhile. It is of ultimate importance in my life. And when we can get our, our, our heads around a concept like that, that this is worth, this thing that we call kingdom building, that God has called us to, that's the dream he's, he should have given every single one of us to see more and more people in the context, in this context where he's called us, more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ, more and more families who get their lives changed and their legacies changed because Jesus did a transforming work in our life. When we get our heads around the importance of that kind of work and that it is ultimate in, in, in our lives, that there might not be anything greater that you do in your life than seeing and fighting for the dream that God has given for this church and seeing it through. When we begin to get our heads around that, I'm telling you what happens is, is, is that we become unified and we become passionate. We become a people with, with a plan and a purpose. See, purpose didn't just come from Rick Warren. Purpose comes, you know, purpose is something that has always been with us. We've all been called to live a purpose-driven life. And the purpose of our lives is to do the work that God has called us to do. And if we can all kind of come together around that and begin to fight for that, it becomes something even more beautiful. Living hope is is a beautiful church and we're becoming even more beautiful. But I think the next phase that God has for us in really becoming the church that he has called us to be is to move from us being a group of people who really care about each other and who like to come together and worship because, because we enjoy that church is not necessarily something only to be enjoyed. 
It's something worth fighting for. Fighting for. And when we talk about defending this dream, God's dreams are worth unifying for. We come together. We, we adopt a common purpose. We begin to see things similarly. We begin to see the, the same future where, where God is moving us to. These little things that continue to happen in our church where we move from, you know, a, a house to a school to a little upstairs room downtown to a, another school that, that was a little bit better for us. Now to a, a, a building that's all our own that, that we can, uh, you know, use all week long for whatever purpose God wants us to. And, and all along the way, uh, lives are being changed because it's certainly not about buildings. Church is not about buildings. But all along the way through this story, lives are being transformed. Families are coming closer to Christ. Um, um, people are doing amazing things that they never thought that they would be able to accomplish for the kingdom. And, and little things like, like the adding of another suite to our plan so that we can continue to facilitate the growth that God is giving us in this church. All those things build up. They're not not ultimate, but they are leading us forward to a dream, which I believe is for us to see this community transformed by the grace of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about a community of people who suddenly start to like church. I'm talking about a community. I mean, think through the, the evils that exist just in our community. The, 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 the um, Divorce rates, the homelessness, the, the, the kids who don't know where their next meal is coming from, the, the human trafficking that we're starting to learn about that is already existing here in our town, the crime. The, I could go on and on and on. I mean, we're a small town, but we're not that small. Think about everything that and I'm talking about a community transformed by the grace of God to where it stops looking like Dixon has looked for the past hundred years or more and suddenly begins to look like God's kingdom. That's the goal. That's the dream. We're not, we're not shooting for a big church. We're shooting for a big kingdom. And if God grows his kingdom in Dixon through, or, or the surrounding areas, the greater Dixon metroplex, <laughs> if, if, if he builds his kingdom right here in Living Hope, then we'll praise God. And if he builds his kingdom in Dixon Community Church, we'll praise God. And if he builds his kingdom in any of the other churches in town, we'll praise God because we're not on opposite teams. We're all on the same team. Amen? We just want to see the kingdom grow here. If we lead someone to Christ and they suddenly decide, you know what? I think the Methodist church is a better fit for me. We'll say, then glory be to God. Go help the Methodist church. All we care is that you're in the kingdom. That's the dream. Let's grow the kingdom here. And when we unify around that purpose, we're not just looking to put on the biggest event. We're not just looking to have the biggest attendance or, 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 or whatever. All those things happen when you have a healthy church, by the way. You can't fight it. They just happen. We can try to keep kids from coming to church here at Living Hope and try to keep shrinking things so we run people away or whatever. But where God is moving, you just have to get out of the way. You just have to get out of the way. 
And that's worth unifying around. God's dreams are not just worth unifying around, they're worth fighting for. There are things here worth protecting. One of the things I'm most proud about, about the leadership of our church, specifically the elders of our church, is how hard they fight for the unity of Living Hope Church. These are the things that we will get passionate. This is is how you know you have a good elder in, in, in the position of an elder, is if they're a person that is kind and joyful and meek and humble and a strong leader and whatever else, all those qualities you want for, for, for an elder. But when you see them angry is when somebody threatens the unity of their church. That's when you know you've got a good elder. We don't play around with that around here. Unity is important to us. It's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting through to get to the other side sometimes to see the unity. It's worth defending. It's worth occasionally, and this happens so rarely. In fact, almost never. But if it was to happen, we would do it. It's worth occasionally asking someone to leave the church because you know they are fighting against the unity at this church. You say, why would you ask somebody to leave the church? Because Satan's real. That's why. Because we don't play around with unity here. Now, we're not looking for yes men and yes women. We're not looking for you to agree on everything. When we talk about unity, there's many different roads we can get to this dream that God has called us to of seeing Dixon look like the kingdom of God. But we at least have to be agreed on that. That we're called to do this kingdom work. We at least have to be agreed on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and everything else we sang about in that creed song earlier. If we can't agree on that, if, we, if, if, if you're fighting against those truths, if you're fighting against the unity, then we will help you find another church. But it's important for us to, to unify. Again, we don't all, I, there's plenty of you in this, in this room that disagree with me on things. Or that I disagree with you on things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about unity, which is something deeper, something more beautiful. And Satan wants to see us ununified. Why does the church in America have the reputation it has in our, in our culture? It's because Satan has been successful in dividing churches. Why? I'm going to throw it. Let's get personal. Why has uh, the kingdom of God struggled so hard to take roots and really and truly grow here in Dixon? It's because our enemy has been successful at dividing us and help us making us focus on what is different instead of what we have in common. Those things are important and they're worth fighting for. They're worth sacrificing for. These dreams are worth sacrificing for. Your church, God's kingdom, is worth you sacrificing your life for. Worth you sacrificing your comfort for. Worth you sacrificing your time for. Worth you sacrificing your dollars for. I, I, I can sacrifice my life and I can sacrifice my time and I can sacrifice my income and all the things that God calls me to sacrifice for Living Hope Church. And I do that with joy, with true joy, because I believe in the core of who I am and what we're trying to do here. And when you believe in something, you look back to, I know I'm going long here, but you look back to, 
you know, the, the stories you hear from the days of World War II, how the whole nation would just band together around this effort to see, uh, you know, the, the allies win the war in World War II and, and how the nation would sacrifice. They were sacrificing food and they were sacrificing time and they were sacrificing um, 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 luxuries in their life just to make sure the, the boys fighting across the, you know, the, the ocean had what they needed to win that war. Why? Because the entire nation knew the evil that was out there and knew they had to defeat it. That war was not won only by soldiers. That war was won by an entire nation, at least from our perspective, an entire nation of people who got behind them and said, we will not let this fail. When you believe in something, as, as hard as you believe in something like that, it's a joy to sacrifice for it. The same is true of the church. When you believe in the work that God has called us to do, that this is not just some sort of country club where we get together once a week and we listen to some cool music and we you know, laugh a couple times or whatever, but there's plan and there's purpose and there is a dream here and it's worth sacrificing for. I'll give to that all day long. All day long. Because I believe in it. I want to challenge you to really think it through and pray it through. I, I want to see us become a body that moves from a bunch of people who love each other and care about each other and we enjoy getting together to a bunch of people who realize we're taking up arms together. I'll not sleep. I'll not sleep. I'll make sure I keep my weapon close and that weapon being the word of God, the truth. I'll keep it close at hand. I'll do whatever it takes to see us move forward in this dream. And let me give you just a little bit of hint about the enemy of the church. Most often, the enemy of church that we have to pull out the sword of truth to, most often it's not people outside of our church. Most often it's people inside our church. We're not necessarily called to combat the people that we're trying to reach though we do have to combat Satan's tactics that creep up in, from, from within. And it's worth fighting for in a beautiful way, in a loving way, in a healthy way. It's worth fighting for. So let's rally around this. Let's not lose faith. Let's persevere. Let's continue the work that God has called us to do. We did not finish the work when we moved into this little building. This is not the dream. There is much work to be done. Much work to be done. And so let's do it together. Can I ask you right now, if you would, if you would join with me and say, yes, I, I, I believe in that work and I want to do it as well. I may not even not completely understand it, but I'm behind it. Would you just stand to your feet and let's close in prayer. Father God, we love you. And your word is good to us. And um, for, forgive us when we uh, allow discouragement allow attack, allow pride, um, allow whatever might crop up in our lives to help us, to, to keep us from seeing where your dreams are taking us. Renew in us the plans that you have for your kingdom right here in Dixon and beyond. Renew that. Help us to be, get passionate about it. Help us to fight through problems and get to the other side where we'll see love and where we'll see unity. Help us to fight for those people that aren't here this morning, that are 
outside of your plan and outside of your will that are waiting for someone to to share your good news with them. Help us to fight for them. Help us to get to them so that we can see families transformed, lives changed, legacies changed. God, we believe in the work that you've called us to do. We believe it is worth giving ourselves to and sacrificing for. We thank you for calling us to such a tremendous task. We are but a couple of hundred people called to reach thousands in the context that we are in. And God, we thank you for that call. We thank you that you have seen fit to bless us the way that you have blessed us, to guide us the way that you have guided us. We thank you that you have seen fit to... to, to penetrate the hearts of men and women and boys and girls in our community send them into our congregation so that we can do the work of leading them to you Um, God help us to go actively outside of these walls and reach people for you and draw them in God your work is too important for us to just treat it like a hobby we love you and we ask that you would call us to even greater things we give you our yes before we even know the call. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God is good. Amen. Amen.